In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day, with many blessings seen and unseen. Uh, Lord, we pray for our church, uh, for the Universal Church in Rome. We pray for the Diocese of Phoenix and our individual parishes. Uh, we pray uh, that the laity will uh, continue to take an uh, important uh, role in the church in the 21st century. Um, we look to the theology of Pope St. John Paul II to do this. Uh, we pray for all of our family members, for friends, for anyone this night that needs prayers. And we offer this up to the intercession of Our Lady as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me here. Uh, I've been looking forward to being with you again, uh, and it actually gets me out of my regular job and uh, at the parish and doing something I really enjoy, speaking. Um, I am actually, uh, Deacon said marriage. I'm not, I don't oversee marriage. I'm director of family catechesis, which means I oversee our kindergarten or pre-kindergarten through fifth grade catechesis. Um, that's what I oversee. I did not want the director of education title um, for different reasons. So we came up with the title director of family catechesis because our families actually are required to attend the adult session while the children are in their classroom. So we're educating uh, parents trying to catechize the parents and help them understand their faith more and, and allow them to see themselves as the primary catechist, uh, which is the role of the parent, not necessarily the role of myself or my team. So uh, this talk is based on uh, a talk that I've given before. I actually shortened it a little bit because when I was looking at it with my wife one night, we were sitting on the couch, I was kind of going through this and um, it was just too heady, too academic. Um, that, oh, and that's the other thing I guess I could tell you too. Last time I was with you was February, I think, of 2018. I got married September 8th of 2018. Um, and then we, we had our first son, uh, Jameson Thomas, one hour and 54 minutes before our first anniversary. So we ended up celebrating our... Thank you. We ended up celebrating our first anniversary in the hospital after giving birth to him. So um, I have a couple pictures on my, on my uh, computer I can share with you at the end. Uh, he is, he'll be three months on Saturday. Uh, completely changed the way I look at the world. Um, if you can tell, I'm a little, not 100% tonight, I'm a little under the weather. I think that's partially just because I'm kind of worn down and allergies. And then, of course, getting up with him in the mornings, my wife has to go back to my wife has, gone, has returned back to work part-time, um, 20, like 20, 25 hours a week, and then she goes into the office on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, because with my salary at the parish, we can't pay our, both our bills and our debt. So she right now is um, working uh, until, I, until something changes for me. Let's just say that. Um, so... All right, so this talk is You Two Go Into My Vineyard, uh, and it focuses on a, on a document that John Paul II wrote called Christe Fideli Leci, which is the lay members of Christ's faithful people. So I want to start with scripture, and then we'll dive into this, into this topic. This is from, I'm going to read from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, a day he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third time, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. 
He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, arrived to, he replied to one of them, Friend, I am, doing you, I am doing you no wrong. You did not agree with me for, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose, I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So this scripture is really kind of what's this whole topic tonight and this whole, this, the, the uh, talk that I'm going to give to you tonight is based on. So again, this is based on John Paul II's document called Christe Fideli Leci. Um, it's, it's essentially the document from Vatican II on the laity was written in 19, I think it was 63 is when it was promulgated, somewhere in either 63 or 64. It might have been 65 too. Uh, one of those years it was promulgated. John Paul II essentially takes that document and then kind of picks it up from there. Uh, a lot of the documents from the Second Vatican Council, John Paul II kind of took what the council fathers had given him and kind of took up the, kind of like took up the torch and wrote about it. Pope Benedict uh, did this as well a little bit. The synod that developed the propositions for this document took place in Rome from October 1st to October 30th, 1987. Um, if you're familiar, this is something that all popes have done. Synods are gathering of bishops to discuss different topics in the life of the church. Um, there was one just recently in Rome uh, with Pope Francis, um, and it's rather controversial on a lot of a lot of topics. Um, and I, and for for my for my sense of mind and my soul, I'm not going to talk about it tonight because it's it's it somewhat frustrates me. Uh, the synod bishops gathered with Pope Saint John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, to discuss the important role that the laity in the Catholic Church would play in the latter part of the 20th century. Remember, this is 1987, and beginning years of the 21st century. The scripture verse, you too go into my vineyard, was the rallying call of this synod, for it's not just the role of the clergy and religious to preach Jesus Christ and his gospel message to the world, but the lay members had that job to do the very same thing, which comes through the call of our baptismal promises. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Pope St. John Paul II said, I desired, um, I desired this synod as well as this document to focus on the practicalities of the lay faithful. At the end of his introduction, St. John, Paul, John Paul II says, This exhortation intends to stir and promote a deeper awareness among all the faithful of the gift and responsibility they share, both as a group and as individuals, in the communion and mission of the church. So one thing that you're going to see throughout this talk is that it's important for the role that we play as an individual, as a lay faithful, but then also how do we play that role within the group as well. So a group like this, or really, and, and I'm going to talk about it shortly, the idea of the parish, why the parish is so important and key. The simple question is for us, what is the vineyard? And the simple answer is the world in which we live. Uh, there's no need to travel halfway across the world to go be a missionary. Uh, there's plenty of work right here before your families and uh, your circle of friends, your place of work, and even here within your parish community. St. Teresa of Calcutta one time was here in the United States, and a couple went to her and said, we want to come to Calcutta and serve with you. And she's like, well, I would appreciate, you know, they, we have no children. 
um, and we have the financial means to do so, but we want to come and serve with you. And she's like, well, I would love for you to come and serve with me. She says, however, there are people here in your own town and city. I think this was Los Angeles. She said, there are plenty of people here in your own city, in your own community that need you to be here. She says, so traveling really the distance to, you know, halfway across the world isn't necessarily uh, necessary. As, as lay members, we're called to work and labor for the Lord. And we should never remain idle. As the laity, we must take an active, conscientious, and responsible part in the mission of the church in this great moment in history. Idleness leads usually to sin. Like when you're usually sitting around and wasting time and not, you know, not doing stuff, um, it usually will lead, you know, there's, it's, you usually get into trouble when you're just sitting around. Uh, because things, you know, your brain starts to work and, you know, it just, it just isn't good. So being idle, um, I remember I've confessed that numerous times in reconciliation, idleness. And um, because it would, the idleness would often lead me to a sin um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes mortal sins because I just had, you know, I just wasn't using my time, time well. At this point in history, there's never been a time uh, where Jesus Christ is needed like today. Uh, with the rise of so many secular uh, thoughts, secularism, neo-pagan philosophies, and then even confusion and scandal within our own church today, the time to bring the gospel focuses on the re-evangelization of the world. That's why I think going through the theology and the documents of John Paul II is so important uh, because I think today we're, we're dealing with a lot of confusion uh, coming from not only Rome, but also our own bishops. Um, we're blessed to have a, a good bishop here in Phoenix, but there are places around the country uh, that I have friends in those dioceses that struggle with their bishop. Uh, and their bishops say things that um, either contradict the faith or contradict the you know, things that John Paul II say, uh, has said. So I think it's important for us to... Um, for, to, to remember that, um, that we, need to, we need to be active members uh, today. So we're not just workers in the vineyard, but since Jesus Christ is the vine, we are also the branches. Who are the lay faithful and where do we find ourselves? The lay faithful is taught by the, docu the document Lumen Gentium from Vatican II, states that they are all the faithful except for those, the, the lay faithful are all the faithful except for those in holy order and religious state sanctioned by the church. So I'm probably speaking to the choir when I say this, but it's good review anyway. The lay faithful, if you're not a priest or you're not religious, you're part of the lay faithful. Through our baptism, we're made one body with Christ and are established among the people of God as well as share in the priestly, prophetic and kingly offices of the church, of, or of Jesus Christ. Has anyone, everyone aware of those three offices? Have you ever heard of those three offices, priest, priest, prophet, and king? Yes? Yeah, nod your heads if you have. Okay. So, um, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as well. So, those, those roles that we see from the Old Testament uh, come to us from Jesus in our baptism. Pope Pius XII says, the lay faithful find themselves on the front line of the church's life. Mind you, this is the 1950s when he wrote this too. For them, the church is the animating principle for human society. Therefore, in particular, ought to have an ever clearer consciousness, not only belonging to the church, but being the church. That is to say, the community of the faithful on earth, under the leadership of the Pope, and the head of all, and of the bishops in communion with him. So it's not just we belong to the church, but we ourselves are the church. And it's through the sacrament of baptism and the gift of faith that the lay faithful serve as Christians in the mystery of the church. Baptism regenerates us in the life of the Son of God and unites us to Christ in his body. The church anoints us in the Holy Spirit and makes us spiritual temples. Baptism is so fundamental because obviously it's the first sacrament of all the sacraments. 
You know, when a child is brought in and baptized, they're welcomed into the community of the, or the people of God. Um, my son was literally baptized a week after he was born. Uh, he was scheduled to be born two, three weeks before. He was five pounds, like 12 ounces or 13 ounces when uh, we baptized him. He was real tiny. He was born at 6'5", but he shrunk down, and now he's back up to almost 11. But his baptism, you know, I've seen countless baptisms. I've witnessed countless baptisms as a godfather. Um, I participated in, in my role as the church. But when I saw my son come into the people of God, it was something that was very, very, very different. Uh, and in our household, you know, he'll just be, he'll be kind of raised. And we're, we are, we're always talking about Jesus. Uh, and, and I've actually gotten into the habit when I watch him, I actually read the meditations of St. Thomas Aquinas to him. Because uh, my wife said, you need to read to our son. So I said, all right, I'm going to read Thomas Aquinas to him then. So, because, so, you know, I'm like, these books, these little children's books, he doesn't even understand the pictures. Let's just read, I'm going to read Thomas Aquinas. So, so, as sharers in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly mission, the lay faithful from our baptism share in these roles. These are specific roles found in the Old Testament, which are in turn fulfilled, made complete by Christ, and then given to us to share in the new covenant. So remember, in the, Old, in the Old Testament, we see all of these roles. You have priests in the Old Testament, namely the Levitical priests that rose after the golden calf kind of was established, was Aaron's sons that were faithful to Moses during the, the building of the golden calf. And the Levitical priests were the ones that, for, for centuries, guarded and protected the Ark of the Covenant and then eventually protected the temple. The prophetic, we also have prophets, you know, Isaiah, Malachi, Zechariah, you know, we have all these different prophets that we read in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the prophets, they themselves were essentially God's messengers, but they were also a checks and balances for the kings. Because a lot of times the kings did stupid stuff and made bad decisions. So the prophets, even David, as much as we love King David and how, how faithful King David is, David and that whole thing with Bathsheba was a big stinking mess, okay? And the pro- one of the prophets goes to him and says, you know, you screwed up, pal. So that's what they were there for. They were there as to profess God's message, but also to kind of keep the kings in check. And then the kingly mission, like I said, I named, you know, Saul. Like the three that we think of is probably Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, and then there's a lot of kings that happened after the split of the kingdom, uh, and a lot of them in the northern kingdom were just bad dudes, uh, really bad dudes. And, uh, and in the south, some were good and some were bad. But they, the, the role of the king was to focus on the people, was to serve the individual. Uh, I always remind myself of Plato, Plato's Republic, when the philosopher king in Plato's Republic talks about you can't be a king until you're over the age of 40 because... Plato's thought was, well, by the time you're 40 years old, all your childish and boyish and and kind of stupid decisions as a man before 40 is kind of out and you're ready to rule as as after you're 40. Um, uh, So so the king, so a lot of our a lot of the kings in the Old Testament, some were very wise, but a lot of them just did some just some bad things. But we take the good of those kings and we receive those from Jesus. So the priestly mission, as Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for us, which is continued in the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, we offer up our sacrifices. So although we're not part of the ministerial priesthood, like, you know, like your pastor, Father Chad, uh, he's part of the ministerial priesthood. My boss, Father Chris, he's part of the ministerial priesthood. We're considered priests, but not part of that priesthood. Where they offer up the bread and wine in the Holy Eucharist, which in turn becomes the body and blood of Jesus, it is at the very moment that we offer up our sacrifices. So how are we priests? How can we be priests? It's literally offering up all of our personal sacrifices, uh, our work, our prayers, our apostolic endeavors, married life, single life, family life, our daily labor, mental and physical relaxation, and even the pesky neighbor that wants you to trim the bush that's over their, over their fence. 
Okay? So, I mean, that's something that you're like, oh, that neighbor's driving me crazy. All right? Bring that to Mass. Uh, bring that sacrifice to, to Mass. I do, this in two, I do this in two places. So not only like when, I, when, we, when we pray for each other, are we being priestly. My wife and I started just recently with our son. You know, he's three months. We, we pray together out loud with him. Uh, and we pray and offer up all of our intentions at the end of the day. But where I do this in Mass, when my wife and I go to Sunday Mass, when we kneel before Mass starts, we offer up kind of our personal prayer for that Mass. And that's that sacrifice. That's that priestly role. So lately I pray for my wife and I that we may grow, continue to grow in holiness uh, and virtue and leading each other closer to heaven. Uh, and then I also pray for my son. I pray for his mental, spiritual, and physical growth. And those are my prayers that I offer up before Mass. And then I also do it again during the second part, uh, during another part in the, in the Mass, before the consecration, when the priest offers up the bread and the wine before the consecration, so before the Sanctus, before the Holy Holy, um, when the priest offers that up, I offer, I kind of, if I can, if I'm not holding my son or if I'm not, you know, if I'm not changing his diaper somewhere, uh, but if, if I'm there, what I'm doing is I then say those same, offer up those same prayers during that time. Um, so again, as the priest offers up the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, we offer up those other prayers. The prophetic mission, as proclaimed, uh, the, as, as Christ proclaimed the kingdom of God, so we are called to proclaim the gospel message to the world. As prophets, we are called to learn our faith and proclaim it in word and deed, without hesitation and with fortitude. Talks like this, other ta- you know, the men's ministry, adult faith formation, the keynote classes that are offered, even diaconate formation, if you feel called to the diaconate, all of those things, when you're learning about your faith and then able to express your faith to others, that's being a prophet. And then lastly is the kingly mission, As Christ is King and Lord of the universe, in our kingly role, we're called, first of all, to engage in spiritual combat, which is fighting the inclination to sin in ourselves. We are then to serve through justice and charity, Jesus Christ present in our brothers and sisters, including the least among us. So when it comes to being kingly, it's those times that we go out and serve. We serve other people. At Mary Magdalene, we have one of the most incredible pastoral um, pastoral care programs I've ever seen at a parish. Uh, and after every Mass uh, on Sunday morning, lines of people line up taking Jesus to the sick and the homebound. Uh, the, my wife and I, we go to the 7.30 Mass, and on any given Sunday, there's at least 25 to 30 people bringing our Lord out to the sick and the homebound. Those people at that point are serving in their kingly role because they're going out to serve. We go to soup kitchens, and if you're involved with the Knights of Columbus, any of those activities like that, that is essentially acting in that kingly role. Pope St. John Paul II says, The participation of the lay faithful in the threefold mission of Christ as priest, prophet, and king finds its source in the anointing of baptism, its further development in confirmation, and its realization and dynamic sustenance in the Holy Eucharist. So those three roles are not only given to us at baptism, but as our faith continues and we receive more sacraments of initiation, confirmation and Holy Eucharist, those roles just get stronger. So we are all called to holiness. It's our primary and fundamental vocation in the vocation of holiness. Holiness is the greatest witness of the dignity conferred on the disciple of Christ. In today's world, as the lay faithful, we're called to men and women of Jesus Christ, to be men and women of Jesus Christ, but especially we're called to be saints for Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, we're called to be saints in a world that needs holy men and women. I mean, we're considered part of the, um, you know, we're, we're part of the, 
uh, the church militant. We're called to be to live lives of holiness, and and it's and it's tough, and it's hard. Not you know, it's it's a it's a it's a thing we struggle with, but we're called to do it and to try to do it. Holiness is not a vocation for just priests and religious, but must be strived and reached by the lay faithful. Prior to Vatican II, I remember my mom kind of sharing me with this. So my mom, I won't say how old she is, but she's uh, she's. She remembers post Vatican. She remembers pre Vatican II, and when you talk about holiness, she's like, holiness was only talked about by priests and religious. She said the lay faithful were that stuff was never mentioned to us, um, and it's not like the church never taught that. The church has been teaching that for hundreds, you know, hundreds for centuries. It just wasn't very clear. Um, so after Vatican II, we see this idea that holiness is called not just religious and priests, but all faithful. Quoting Lumen Gentium again, Pope St. John Paul II says, All the faithful of Christ, whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. All of Christ's followers are invited and bound to pursue holiness and the perfect fulfillment of their own state of life. Rooted in baptism and given strength in other sacraments, especially Holy Eucharist, holiness finds its source. As lay faithful, we're called to live the imitation of Christ, embracing the Beatitudes. Um, a professor one time said to me that the Beatitudes are the characteristics of the people of God. The characteristics of the people of God. When I used to teach high school, the kids were like, well, I like this Beatitude, but not this Beatitude. I mean, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Okay, you embrace all the Beatitudes. As lay faithful, we are actively participating in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church. Okay, that is so, so important. Going to Mass on Sunday, obviously, if you can get to Mass during the week, that's even great. Okay, but it's not just Mass. Reconciliation is equally important. Okay, being able to celebrate those, those are two sacraments that we can do on a regular, you know, we can go to Mass every day. You know, they don't necessarily um, say go to confession every day. You could, but it's a little, it'd be a little, um, the priest would probably tell you not to come back after, you know. Uh, so, so, I mean, they are like, no, 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 not, don't come every day. Okay? So, um, but, you know, it's, those are things that we need to participate in. But it's not just that. When you're invited to a wedding, you know, invited to a Catholic wedding, um, you know, going to funerals is not hard. When my dad passed away a couple of years ago, it wasn't hard. It was, was, was very hard. Uh, and, but still going to funerals and participating uh, kind of in that, um, you know, in, in a, in a, because we see anointing of the sick, you know, kind of before the funeral rite. But participating in the life of the church sacramentally is very important as lay faithful. Personal prayer, developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing, G knowing who Christ is. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing who Christ is. Like you know your spouse or you know your siblings. That's how we're called to have that relationship with Jesus. We're, we are called to be in communion of the church as a family. So it's not just something we do on our own. You know, oh, I'm just going to sit in my corner. I'm just going to go become, you know, I'm just going to go do my own thing. As lay faithful, we're not called to do that. There are religious monks, there are monks you know, that, that, that go off in isolation and they, they, they live in uh, monasteries in isolation. But the thing is, they're still within a community, so they're not necessarily alone. Uh, so we, we have to live within the community. And we also have to serve with love and justice to all members of Christ's body, especially the poor and the suffering. Um, I mean, this is something the church has professed for, for many years um, you know, reaching out to those that are less uh, fortunate than us. But the other thing, too, I think when people think about poverty and poor, everybody thinks materially poor. It's also spiritual poverty as well. Jesus used to say, you know, you you're not going to have me always, but the poor will always be with you. It doesn't necessarily mean materially poor. It, it's not just one or the other. It's both and. Materially, you know, the poverty of material things, but also of, of spiritual life as well. Holiness is something that we seek just in, is not just seeking in the corner of our life, 
but must be taken to the world where we serve those who need it most. Our vocation of holiness is intimately connected to our mission of evangelization. So as branches of a single vine, we turn to John 15. I read you Matthew 20. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Helps us, this, this, this scripture helps us to see through Jesus Christ, who is the single vine, and we have the branches of the vine are in total communion with him. So, yes, we're also laborers. So, again, it's not one or the other. It's both and. We're laborers in the vineyard. But since Christ is the vine, we are also the branches that go out. Pope St. John, uh, John Paul II says, A member of the lay faithful can never remain in isolation from the community, but must live in a continual interaction with others, with a lively sense of fellowship, rejoicing in an equal dignity, and common commitment to bring uh, to fruition the immense treasure that, has each, that, that each has inherited. So again, it's not about being off by ourselves. It's like, I'm not going to be in a corner like this, like, don't talk to me. Don't, you know, um, years ago, I went to Mass many years ago, and a woman that was sitting in the back of the church, she literally said to us, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I just want to be here for Jesus. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to the priest. I don't want to talk to you. I'm just here for myself. And I was like, okay. So it was this thing where it was kind of like, I, I, I don't understand that. You know, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called. It's not just about us and Jesus all the time. You know, it's not, it's not isolation. It's doing it within the community. The roles of the lay faithful and participation in the church look like this. Although the lay faithful don't participate in the ministerial priesthood, we still serve in roles beneficial to the church, specifically roles within the sacred liturgy. So again, we're not going to be part of, as, as, as men, we're not going to be part of the ministerial priesthood. You know, especially you know, in, if you're married already, uh, if you want to be married, that's not where we're going to, we're not going to serve in the ministerial priesthood. But there are places that we can serve. The diaconate is a little different, um, but it's, but it's still not the ministerial, it's still not the ministerial priesthood. Tasks not proper to the ordained minister can be fulfilled by us. So the, that's why the term extraordinary minister of Holy Eucharist is used because it's extraordinary because the priest or the bishop or the deacon, they're the ordinary members. They're the ones that are, they're the primaries. But, you know, in churches today where, that are very large, um, we, we usually have these extraordinary. Um, so it's not saying that they're like our special people, they're, 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 but they're, they're more, they're extra, extra ordinary in the sense that they are not the ordinary minister. Pastors must always acknowledge that their ministry is fundamentally ordained to the service of the entire people of God. The lay faithful, in turn, must acknowledge that the ministerial priesthood is totally necessary for their participation in the mission of the church. Without priests, we don't have the Eucharist. We don't have confession. So the ministerial priesthood to our mission is fundamental and important. My position at the parish exists only because Father Chris's position as the pastor. I am the extension of Father Chris. If I wasn't there, the responsibilities I have would then fall upon him. So his role is key. You know, I'm not married, and I'm not married to the church either. He's technically married to the church or to the parish. So his role only, my role there only, only works because he's there. Um, you know, many years ago when churches were much smaller, the priest would do everything. Sacramental prep, RCIA, you know, going to, going to visit the sick. Uh, uh, anointing of the sick obviously is only for the priest anyway. But still, a, a priest would do all of these different roles. But as parishes grew and they're large, I mean, our parish is... I mean, we were about 2,500 families. So you, you think, you know, and what's this church? Probably about the same. 
So this parish is the same. So you think about all the work that needs that needs to occur. Uh, it's hard for just one or two priests to do all of that work. The lay faithful not only participate in the life of the church through tasks, but also in many other ways. And in each particular church or local or local diocese, the work of Christ uh, acts as one holy Catholic apostolic is the tr- is truly what we're working to do. Um, so again, it's not just um, it's not just uh, doing things in, with different ministries. It's it's getting involved as well uh, in the life of our parish and our diocese. Now, the parish, the big thing of this of this document was focusing on the parish. The parish is very important because for many years the parish wasn't as important as it is today. And John Paul II wanted to make a point to say how important the parish is. The lay faithful need to understand that although the church community has a universal dimension, so there's a universality of the church, it's in the life of the parish that the church is the most immediate and visible expression. It is the church that lives among us in our neighborhoods. Okay, so when, when, you, when, when a Catholic church is built, when we have a church in the neighborhood, it, 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 it's, it's an expression of, you know, oh, that's the Catholic church. Um, that's where we go. Um, you know, there's, I, I've had friends that are non-Catholic. They say, gosh, I, I go by churches, Catholic churches during the week, and the lots are all full. You know, it's always full. It's not just like on Sunday. I'm like, well, yeah, because there's ministries and there's things, there's programs going on during the week. We just don't meet on Sunday and we don't see anyone until then. We have things that are going on throughout the week. Pope St. John Paul II said the parish is not principally a structure or a territory or a building, but rather the family of God, a fellowship of fire with a unifying spirit, a familiar, a familiar and welcome, welcoming home to community of the faithful. I mean, think about if you've ever if you've ever been away from the church, coming back to the parish for the first time. People I've talked to in my ministries over the years are like, "There's something just right about coming home to the parish." Um, I one time had a woman sitting in my office when she, when I was running RCIA, and she said that you know all the times that she was involved in the Protestant communities, it never felt like home. And then when she found her way back to the church, when she reverted and she showed up on our doorstep, there was something that had a sense of home to it. And that's, that's the, the beauty of the parish. Um, there's parishes, like the parish that I was baptized in, uh, in New Jersey, is something that um, I would love to take my wife and son to, because it's this old uh, St. Lucy's Church in Newark, New Jersey. And it's this, I mean, it's a church that they almost, almost shipped over from Italy uh, back in the 1800s. Stained glass windows, marble. I mean, it's, they got altar, I mean, they got a big altar rail, huge high altar. I mean, the, the paintings themselves are beautiful. When I returned to that parish, and I've been there in many years, again, it's kind of a, a returning home for me. The parish is a living community and a center of evangelization. Individually, each member must be a member of the parish, which means that we are registered parishioners of our parish. This is something that a lot of people have a hard time with. Well, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to register. Okay, or I'm going to register at two parishes. I'm going to go here part-time and here part-time. But that does a disservice to the life of the parish because then that, where do you, you know, where, where do you give your tithe? Where are you giving your financial contribution? If you're going to be a member of the church, you must register as a, as, a, as a member and as a parishioner somewhere. Uh, within the parish, we engage in different apostolates or ministries of the parish, like the one that you're involved in here. And now, not always expect the next person to do it or have the same individuals doing everything. Um, you know, that's something where, and, and unfortunately in a lot of parishes, like I could say this to you, and a lot of you are probably involved in a variety of different ministries here at the parish. You know, and usually like at Mary Magdalene, 20% of the parish, I don't know if it's even that, probably 15 to 18%, uh, if that, you know, so, um, you know, are involved. It's everybody doing the same thing. Where are the 85%, you know, where are they? They show up for mass and they leave on Sunday. So, um, you know, it's, that's the thing, I could say it, but we've got to somehow change that culture. 
of you know the eighty five percent not showing up. Um, the lay faithful are also responsible for the communion that exists within the parish and life of the church. At all costs, the temptation to divide individuals should be avoided since it dis- destroys the Christian life. St. Paul warned of this in 1 Corinthians. Think about this. St. Paul's talking about this, okay? This is, you know, this is, you're talking 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. They're having these same issues that we have. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13, it says, We belong to the person of Jesus Christ and not to different camps within local or the universal church. So even St. Paul dealt with, you know, people say, Well, I belong to this priest or I belong to that priest and I'm going to leave that parish and go follow that priest to this parish. Okay? Bishop Olmsted's got some wisdom where he removes a priest and ships them like to the other side of the, the valley or somewhere up, up north. Okay? Um, like our old pastor, Father Will, was moved. He went to Flagstaff, okay? And some of our parishioners go up there every once in a while, but it's every once in a while. You know, they're not, they're not driving to Flagstaff from Gilbert every Sunday. John Paul II says the parish... Oh, Scar, I'm sorry. Uh, the parish, thus the life of the church, communion will become a sign for all the world and a compelling force that lead persons to faith in Christ. Communion leads to mission, and mission itself to communion. So, you know, the moral of this is that the parish is very important. If you're not involved, obviously being here tonight, again, I'm talking to someone of the choir because you come to a men's ministry. And be blessed that you have this because there's a lot of parishes, even here in the diocese, that don't have a men's ministry. We have one, but it's very small. It struggles. It also has to do with our, the lack of space that we have at Mary Magdalene. You guys have a lot of space, a lot of meeting space to meet, but it, ours, is, ours is somewhat struggling a bit. Uh, so, you know, feel blessed that you have such a, such a group. Not only are we to proclaim the gospel to the nations, since we are co-heirs through our baptism, but our proclamation of the gospel must bear fruit. So it's important to be the vine, and it's also important to be laborers. But when you labor, you have to produce fruit. It's like this with any of our jobs. You know, even if you don't work for the church, even you know, if you've never worked for the church, you still, when you've worked in a job, whatever it is, sales, marketing, advertising, whatever it is, you had to produce something. You had to produce fruit for your labor. Same, same is the, the case in, in, in this. When we proclaim the gospel, we must produce fruit. The proper job of the lay faithful in the world is to evangelize. The sole mission of the church focuses on a concentrated effort in evangelization. Um, Evangelization is essentially bringing the gospel, the kerygma, the basic gospel message to the world. That's evangelization. And there's nothing different between the old evangelization and the new evangelization. The new evangelization just has kind of a new fervor to it. There's ways that we can evangelize. Uh, there's different ways. There's different means to do so in, in kind of in the modern world. It depends on each and every one of us, no matter your age, education, or place in society. The youth and adult men must unite together. Well, everyone, adult men, uh, adult men and women, the youth, everyone must come together to evangelize. Couples that are married should testify to love of Christ and church in their marriages. If you're married, um, I can't say enough the importance that my wife and I found in the marriage prep that we did with the church. Now, I'll say this. When I first saw, uh, when I saw, I think I was here in February of 18, our marriage prep class was March of 2018. And I was grudgingly going because it was like the theology, of the, it was theology of the body and I'm like, I've read the theology of the body. I've done this stuff. I have a master's degree in, edu- in theology from Franciscan. You know, kind of this, this high and mighty attitude I had. The, it was the best thing we ever did. And the couples that were there, there was a younger couple that had been married since they were, they're probably in their 30s, but they got married very young in their early 20s. So they've been married for about 10 years. And then there was a couple that had been married, um, Peter Lemieux, Peter, I forget his wife's name, Peter Lemieux is the, um, the husband. Um, I actually knew his son when I was in high school. They, their, their witness was fantastic for us because you're, they're in a room with people that really don't want to be there. I mean, there was probably a few of us that really are practicing our faith and everybody else was kind of there punching the ticket. 
So, uh, which is unfortunate, but that's, that's the reality. But that, if you're, in, if you're married and your wife and you aren't involved in some kind of marriage ministry or doing something with the diocese, I would encourage you to get involved because, it, again, my wife and I had conversations during our marriage prep that we needed to have that we weren't having. And it was key and it was important, and that day actually made us realize it. So, so again, couples that are married should testify to, to the love of Christ. And, and you know, and I, I've been married for, what, 15 months. It's, it's, I, someone said to me, it's, you're going to realize really quickly it's not, it's not real easy. It's not as easy as everyone thinks, you know, so, oh, his, his marriage isn't that bad. I love my wife, but we work at it every day. Uh, there's the ways we talk to each other. Um, even one of our parishioners, they celebrated their 50th anniversary recently, and he said, he's like, we've been married for 50 years, and we still have to communicate with each other. He says, there's times when she tells me, get out of the house, you drive me crazy. So, um, but it's important, so if you're married, please do so. So as the lay faithful, there's seven ways that we, we the proclamation of the gospel happens, is promoting the dignity of the person, uh, a, some, a person is a someone, never a something, Respecting the inviolable, uh, inviolable right to life and the defense of all human life. The freedom to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, most importantly, religious freedom, which is a requirement of the dignity of every person. The promotion of the traditional view of family, the basic cell of society, which is being attacked greatly these days. Service to those in need, with charity we serve. Engaging in the public life of society. This is something I think Bishop, Bishop Olmstead's written that document a couple times, but engaging in society, engaging kind of like in the political realm or the, the state realm. As Catholics, that's something that a lot of us don't want to do, um, but we're definitely encouraged to do it. And then evangelizing cultures of humanities, um, which is like schools and uh, universities, uh, places that we can, um, you know, where that... Like if you have a, you guys don't have a school. We don't have a school either. You guys don't. But you guys are associated with a school or no? St. John Bosco. But like, but yeah, it used to be okay. So, but like trying to trying to get involved in the life of the school somehow, especially if you're a parent, getting involved in the life of the school and evangelizing that way, because there's not always uh, there's not always um, Catholics that are practicing their faith, sending their kids to Catholic school. So. That needs to be, we need to be out there evangelizing those people. I would like for us to continue in this understanding that as laborers in the vineyard, no matter what the hour of your life is, we are called to be, we are called to the process of always maturing in our faith. As with branches of the vine, some of the most mature produce the best fruit. Just because a branch has produced for many years does not mean it stops producing fruit. There's something to said for old branches or old vines. Um, okay, that's what sometimes the best, the best wine is the old vine. Okay, so it doesn't matter your age. It's like that in the vineyard. It, it doesn't matter if you started at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're 35 or if you're 75. Whatever your age is, you're still able to produce fruit. You're still able to work in the vineyard. You're still called to go out and evangelize for Jesus Christ. Uh, in order for us to bear much fruit, our lives must be focused and connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And it is simply, it's not just simply knowing what God wants from us in our life, but we must do what God wants. In the words of the Blessed Mother at Cana, do whatever he tells you. Um, her yes at the Annunciation is an example for us, as well as her do whatever, her, whatever he tells you. It's kind of those two statements in Scripture, they mirror each other. Because it's like it's her yes to Jesus at the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel comes to her. But it's then also her yes again at the wedding feast at Cana. And that's something for us that we have to remember. We always have to have a Marian disposition. Our disposition towards the church and towards Christ has to be Marian. Do whatever he tells you, thy will be done. That's the disposition. Because the church has two dispositions. It has a Marian disposition and it has the Petrine disposition. disposition. Petrine is Peter, the proclamation of the gospel. But 
Peter's, the Petrine disposition only exists because of the Marian disposition. Pope St. John Paul II says, Formation is not the privilege of a few, but a right and duty of all. In this regard, the Synod Fathers have said, possibilities of formation should be proposed to all, especially the poor, who can also be a source of formation for all. And they added, suitable means to help each, each person fulfill a full human and Christian vocation should be applied to formation. So again, you know, going out and being formed is important. Um, it's a right and duty of us all. No matter your age, if you have been Catholic all your life and you never fully understood what the church's teachings are on certain things or maybe didn't have a, a complete understanding, you are. it's never too late for you to continue to learn and grow in your faith. So lastly, and this is how I want to end. So as we conclude... Here are some questions I want you to think about. You don't necessarily, we could talk about it after if you want, if you want to stay. Um, but how will you go into the vineyard of the Lord? So how do I go into that vineyard? How do I go into the world in which I live? Are you ready to fulfill your baptismal promises and roles to labor for Christ in his church? Again, and laboring, I didn't, I, laboring's hard. It's not easy. Okay, especially when you're, you know, in the heat of, like, you think about the vineyard. Um, if you've ever, if you've ever picked, uh, like, any kind of crops, any kind of, uh, any kind of difficult, um, uh, uh, you know, I have a friend that lives on an avocado ranch in California, and he says when it's, when it's, uh, the, when it's the season to pick everything, he goes, it's a lot of work. And he often, fe- he often points to this scripture uh, he said, because it's hard work getting those avocados off those trees. Uh, and he doesn't do all of it, but he's got people that do it for him. Um, but laboring is hard work. So we're still the branches from the vine that's Jesus, but laboring is hard work. So are you ready to fulfill and work and labor for Christ in the church? And the other big question is, does your labor produce fruit? Um, you know, and at times it takes, and, and with producing a fruit, it takes a while. It, you know, it, uh, a, 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 a tree, uh, sometimes you need to cut off the good branches for the tree to grow. And I know this from my own personal life because the tree in my front yard wasn't growing. Once I started cutting some of the limbs off, the thing shot up. Um, and um, I got to eventually rip it out because it's a terrible, a terrible tree for the, for the neighborhood. But, but that's what happened. When you and think about that in your, my own spiritual life, when I started cutting out groups of friends, hanging out with people, started snipping things off of my branches, uh, my faith grew as well because those people they were those weeds essentially were kind of leading me down uh, a uh, a path that I did not want to go. Let's end in prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Give you uh, praise and glory, Lord Jesus Christ, as we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.